Welcome into another edition of the Varsity Podcast. Justin Barney coming to you solo this week for a week nine edition of the Varsity Podcast. My uh, typical cohort, Sponge Franklin, out of action today. He's on the sidelines with uh, an injury, shall we say. So get better soon, Sponge. Hope to have you back next week. So we have got some ground to cover today in the Varsity Podcast. A big week eight really helped some dot decide some things in the playoff chase, the district attacks as, or district uh, races as they uh, as they gear up and head to that final stretch. So let's kind of take a, a quick spin back through last week, two of the best games really of the season last week, both district games as well. Bartram Trail hammered Creekside. That was a battle of number two team and number four team in our Super 10. Bartram Trail 59, Creekside 27. Great offensive performance from the Bears if you followed us on Varsity this season, you've noticed how we've kind of said Bartram has been up and down, up and down. One week they were a great defensive team. The next week they're a big offensive team. And, you know, they had not had many games this year where they've been able to really kind of blend both of those together like they did. And they did that against Creekside last week in just a clinical performance. Really kind of stars emerging on the offensive side of the ball. Running back, Lathan Biddle nearly had a 200-yard game on the ground. Three touchdowns, including a... 88-yard scoring run, really a backbreaker there for that Bartram Trail offense. And Riley Trillo, he's you know he's been coming to his own as a as a passer, but last week at career game, 323 passing yards, four touchdowns, really really kind of a coming out game for Riley and that Bartram Trail offense against a very good Creekside team. You know, and the the credit to the Bartram defense too. Week after week, Creekside has just lit up teams. This year, they dropped 60-something on Nice. They've been a team that has not been able to really be slowed. Their, their lowest point total of the season was 21 points against Glen Academy in the pouring rain of the Border Classic. And, man, Bartram Trail to hold Creekside to 27, a big accomplishment for Bartram, especially in such a high-energy rivalry game like that. If you've never been to a Bartram-Creekside game, that is uh, definitely the matchup in St. John's County. A great, great clash. It reminds me of the old St. Augustine Nice battles back when uh, Tebow was there at Nice and just how much energy and passion that rivalry drew for about a four or five year, maybe even six year swath of time from probably 2003 to maybe 2007, uh, 2008 was just a dynamic time for that rivalry. Uh, probably 2007. That was Craig Howard's last year and just a, an amazing time in St. John's County. And Bartram and Creekside have really really brought that rivalry up to a new level. If you've not been to the games at Bartram Trail, it's impossible to get in and out of there. It's only one way in, one way out. And just a great environment. It was at Creekside last week. The Creekside Crazies were there. Bartram always travels well. Those schools separated by just a few miles. Uh, and they played quite a few times in the history, but Bartram has only lost one time. They beat Creekside for the 14th time in 15 tries in a huge district game last week. And really that Bartram offense finding its uh, its next gear, and that's good to see for the Bears. We'll talk about their opponent this week in a few minutes. But Bartram clicking, that defense has been pretty pretty solid all season. The offense has, has really kind of looked to find that identity and really what they showed last week, Lathan Biddle running and pounding that ball on the inside. He's got big playability, and Riley Trillo, man, he uh, he 
323 yards on a, on a Creekside defense uh, like that in a huge stakes game shows how far he has come as a passer. So great win for Bartram as they really look to move forward in that 3-4-S district race. Another one, big one last week as well, Trinity Christian, 20 University Christian, 13. A massive District 1-1-M battle. University Christian you know, had not historically played well against Trinity, had not won a game in that series uh, in a long, long time. Um, and Trinity, again, stays one step ahead of University Christian, but it was a good game. I thought the the telling point in that game is Norrell Gray had a run in the second quarter that made it down to the Trinity Christian three-yard line. Norrell Gray, one of the best players in the area, um, just the, one of the best athletes in there. He plays both sides of the ball, but he is a uh, went into that game as an 1,100-yard back. He ripped off a huge run, about a 30-yard run, that went down to the Trinity Christian three-yard line, and they wind up getting nothing out of that drive in the second quarter. Uh, there was a sack, uh, two plays after that run, loss of about 18. Uh, UC went for it on fourth down, did not get it, so they came away with no points, and that was a huge play. Had a chance to go up in that game by two scores and could not get it done. And Trinity Christian, to its credit, you start that game without Colin Hurley. He injured his left wrist in the, the Riverside game a week earlier, and they they went without their guy under center. And uh, if you if you listen to Sponge and I talk this year about Trinity's offense and uh, how it's evolving under new offensive coordinator Gus Scott, it's really Colin has been a, a central figure to that. Week one, he did not look good, struggled, um, nasty conditions out in that Ed White game. But he has really, really evolved as a passer and opening up the offense for that team. And you look at Trinity Christian, they are a very um, heavy in the backfield. Darnell Rogers, Treyon Webb mentioned those guys week after week and just how good they are at running the ball. And when you got those two guys in the backfield and you're not throwing the ball that well, well, that's going to that's gonna focus defenses on putting eight in the box and trying to stop Darnell and Treyon. And teams had had a little bit of success with that, but with Colin Hurley's attention and growth uh, and his connections with Miles Burris and London Smith, you've really seen that offense become a little bit more challenging to try and defend in, instead of just coming at you with two prime running backs and throwing the ball 10 times a game. You've now got Colin Hurley who can drop back and, and throw it 20 times a game and get you two or three touchdowns pretty consistently. So not having him last week, they really, really went to that run game slowly and surely and steadily pounded away. They had a drive at the end of the first half where Darnell Rodgers was able to get it in. And to, to UC's credit, they really wrapped up well. They really tackled well. They made Trinity Christian work for it, even Darnell's first touchdown run in that game. He was stopped behind the line of scrimmage, and he just his second and third effort pushed him, carried him forward over the goal line. That really helped start turning the tide for Trinity Christian. And then, man, Trayon Webb with a run, maybe the run of his career, on a third and way long from deep in their own territory, the, their seven-yard line, you're thinking, you know, I'm at that game watching that, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm sitting up here in position for Trinity Christian to punt and University of Christian to get the ball back, so UC would be coming towards me. And Treyon Webb takes the direct snap, and he absolutely crushed a defender about two yards past the line of scrimmage, absolutely trucked him, and then uh, another couple yards later, blasted another UC defender. Now, I'm not talking about just moved off, moved a guy off with his shoulder. I'm talking about laid out on their backs, crushed them, ran right through their chest. And, um, again, when you have that 
to be able to knock one defender back like Trayon did. Okay, we've seen that initial contact, and he's a he's a big boy. He's tough to bring down when he's got a head of steam. But that second hit that he had, where he knocked a UC defender flat on his back, I mean, to to have two concussive hits like that on players in the span of about four yards shows you how strong and how much momentum Trayon Webb had going forward. It reminded me of Deontay Wilder, the boxer. Uh, he fought a guy over the weekend, Robert Hellenius, and uh, he came off the rope and absolutely landed a haymaker to Robert's face, knocked him out, and that reminded me of Trayon's hit the other night on that, uh, that those UC defenders at the line of scrimmage, just a blast upon blast, and he was able to stretch that into a 93-yard touchdown that really flipped the game. Uh, UC came back in that one as well and, and to get it back within a score, uh, but Trinity Christian pulls away at the finish uh, in that huge District 1-1-M championship game, and those two teams, I think, are going to meet each other again in the playoffs. I know it's a little a little presumptive right now, and uh, but I do think Trinity and Christian and University Christian meet the second time. That'll be the first that we saw last week, but I think they do meet a second time uh, for uh, the, with the seasons on the line in the postseason. Of course, we still got uh, three more weeks of football before we can get there, but Trinity Christian... Uh, can officially wrap up a district championship uh, next week when they play Providence. So that will be something where well, I, I don't think there's going to be any issues with Trinity wrapping up. Uh, they are number one. They've been number one in our area to pretend all season long. I don't think Christchurch on Thursday night or Providence next week will have a shot at slowing down that Trinity Christian Express. you got to hope, if you are Trinity Christian, that Colin Hurley, talented sophomore quarterback, will be healthy and ready for that playoff stretch, uh, which begins in right about a month. So i got a little bit of time to heal up. You're going to need a, uh, a guy like that to be able to uh, thread the needle, have that success in the postseason. Of course, we saw what Trayon Webb did last year in the postseason, uh, single-handedly really kept Trinity Christian's state championship dream alive with incredible performances in the playoffs last year. So uh, Trayon and Darnell have showed that they can do it. I don't think they're going to be able to catch teams uh, napping again, especially as we get later into the 1M postseason with Hollywood, Chaminade, Madonna uh, slowly uh, making its way towards the end of the regular season. And uh, that Trinity-Chaminade matchup has been talked about. I've talked about it. Sponge and I have talked about it. I think coaches over there know that that's the most likely scenario is Trinity Christian and Chaminade to meet somewhere along the way in that playoffs. And that is going to be a heavyweight tilt. Trinity Christian trying for its third state championship in a row. And they have been a dominant team. They are headed towards a 10-0 regular season. Another uh, couple from last week, we had um, Jackson. Yeah, they've been, they have been one of my surprise teams, one of my teams that I've talked up a lot the last two years. Christopher Foy done a remarkable job really turning that program uh, from the ashes into a contender. They've won six in a row. Although the last two weeks, to me, have been a, a little bit of a struggle for Jackson offensively. Now, Jackson on the defensive side of the ball have been rock solid all season long. Grayson Howard is fantastic, um, arguably the defensive player of the year right now. They have got a lot of talent on that uh, defensive side of the ball. Um, the secondary, Seth Brooks, has been very good at picking off passes, and they have been 
really sharp. They have not allowed a point um, on that defensive side of the ball the last two games. But offensively, I'm starting to I'm starting to worry a little bit about Jackson. They've had two weeks in a row, 22-6 over Rebaults uh, two weeks ago, and then last Friday um, struggled really struggled offensively to beat Riverside six to two. So not a not a good performance against Riverside. Riverside team that has started out 2-0 and and has lost every game since. So uh, Riverside sneaky good on that defensive side of the ball as well, but when you're Jackson ranked number three in our Super 10 and you're, you're steamrolling teams week after week and you, you really have struggled the last two games on the offensive side of the ball. Fred Gaines, three TDs against Rebalt. Uh, Rebalt's only score in that game was a pick six, um, but the, the Riverside game gave me some pause. You um, really did not play well as an offensive unit. You know, your, your Jackson, yeah, that was your first win over Riverside, huge rival um, since 2010. So it's been a long time since Jackson has won that game. So so credit to Coach Foy and, and the Tigers for ending that streak. But, again, from an, from an offensive standpoint, I, you've got to be sharp. You've got Baker County coming up this week. And then you have the monster game against Reigns a week from Thursday. That'll decide the district championship. So, Coach Christopher Foy, and, and again, you're not playing bad teams at all. I mean, Jackson's schedule this year has been remarkably difficult. And they have answered all comers. Only loss on that record is a week zero game against Brunswick. So, not a bad schedule at all for Jackson. You've just got to start, I think, putting that – offense together a little bit better, um, you're going to need some offense to beat range. You're going to need some offense to beat Baker County. So I think Christopher Foy and that offensive staff have to find out what's not been working. When you only score six on Riverside, again, Riverside, a, a sneaky good defensive team. They're having a, really a rebuilding year over there on off McDuff Avenue, but that's a rivalry game, and Jackson had not won that game in over a decade. So a win is a win, but you have to worry about that win from a about a portion of that win. Your offense, how do you uh, manufacture some more points? Riverside probably should have won that game in all seriousness. They had a touchdown in the end zone, dropped dropped on a fourth down play from about the two yard line. Um, really. Uh, disappointing effort there for Riverside. You could have snuck away with the game um, and and won that. And Jackson as well had a fumble return that should have been a scoop and score, uh, but the the returner had the the ball knocked out of his hands and fumbled out of the end zone. So Riverside got that ball back on the twenty. Uh, so a little bit of a deception that game could have probably been uh, that game could have probably been Jackson uh, twelve to two or fourteen to two, and it it also could have probably been. Uh, Riverside, eight to six um, over over Jackson as well. So um, that game could have gone either which way. But if you're Jackson, a top three ranked Super Ten team, you've got to find ways to make that offense a little bit more consistent. The further along you get in this regular season, um, especially with some big big teams coming up. A couple others last week: Palatka forty eight, Keystone Heights thirty, Panthers stay undefeated. Bradford twenty seven. To Coy Creek Zero. Why is that game big? That's a district game for one. But Bradford has been a powerhouse this season under Jamie Rogers. They've allowed seven points all season, a touchdown to Quincy Monroe, um, and just a really good season for Jamie Rogers and the Tornadoes. I said it on TV the other night, and I'll say it again here. I think Bradford has a shot to win a state championship this year. They're in that suburban division in 2S. I think that is a realistic opportunity 
for Jamie Rogers and the Tornadoes to get a state championship this season. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's stretching that out a little bit or, or um, kind of kind of pumping them up. But I do think Bradford has a realistic shot at winning a state title. Seven points through seven games, really six and a half games because they only played a half against Baker County and still got the win. Um, that is very real. That That is a very real opportunity for Bradford uh, to have that success and keep it going. They will play Palatka for the district championship next week. So great season by both Bradford and Palatka. I think both those teams enter that game undefeated, although Bradford's got a huge one on Friday night against an always, always tough Dinell. A couple others. Columbia won the district title last week, 28-14 over Middleburg. Baldwin, 19-12 win over Westside. Not an impressive game there, but by virtue of West Nassau's blowout loss to Fernandina Beach, 42-14, that gives Baldwin its first district championship in program history. Great for Coach Shields over there, Robert Shields at Baldwin, doing something that's never been done before uh, over the for uh, for the Indians. So great job out there. A couple others from last week. Um, it kind of one that that surprised me yet didn't surprise me. Parker 32, First Coast 18. Um, the offensive total for Parker in that game, 32 points. Very surprising for me. Parker has been hamstrung by a an offense that just cannot put the ball in the end zone. And they did it against First Coast, which had been riding high, um, sailing along, cruising, steaming towards a district championship matchup with Fletcher in Week 10. But First Coast is going to uh, need something to bounce its own way, as well as beat Fletcher next week to have a shot at a district championship. So good win for Sharon Dorsey and the Braves in that game last week, 32-18. And Parker, you feel like they've left a lot out on the field with a defense that is good enough to win games, just an offense that just cannot find the end zone. So 32 points, a big surprise for me last week for the Parker Braves, putting it up on first coast. Before we dive into our this week's game, let's take a crack at our Super 10. Counting down from 10 to 1. Ed White at number 10 still for me. Bowles is back in our Super 10. They are 5-3. and three. They have won three in a row after a very unusual Bowles uh, situation. Three in a row. Lost three losses in a row. That has not happened uh, since the year before Corky Rogers got there all the way back in the late 80s. So it's been a long time since Bowles had a slide like that. Now, to preface that, they're, they're the only three-loss team in our Super 10. Those three losses... Two have been to Georgia teams, one to Brunswick, which is uh, unbeaten still, one to Benedictine out of Savannah, defending state champ, and one to Trinity Christian, also a defending state champ. The, rec- the combined record of those three losses uh, for Bowles, 19-2. and two. Again, two of those were state champs. They played without D.J. Moore for a couple of those losses. They're a uh, do-everything quarterback. So uh, Bulls' record a little bit skewed at 5-3. and three. I think they're a little bit better team than that. So um, their schedule has been very strong. Uh, they'll play for a district championship next week. Creekside drops from 4-8 to eight with that loss to Bartram Trail. Fletcher up a spot for me from 8-7. to seven. Uh, Big win over Inglewood last week. They are off this week. University Christian for me dropped from five to six with that Trinity Christian loss. Reigns up two spots for me. Uh, they're five and one, and they come in at number five. They got winless Atlantic Coast this week, and they are trying to stay on track for that Jackson showdown in a Week 10 Classic. We've got a lot of good games next week. Up to number four is Bradford. Uh, they jump up two spots after beating Tacoy Creek 27-0. They've got a very good Donnellan team on Friday night. 
Jackson, Bartram Trail, and Trinity Christian, 3-2-1 and one. again. Uh, I feel like I say that every week. Those three teams have been locked in there. No spots for quite some time. It feels like those those three teams have been, I think, the most consistent. Um, and Bradford in there at number four. So Bradford started unranked this season for uh, in our Super 10, and they have made that climb very quickly uh, thanks to that defense. Jamie Rogers doing a great job down there. Okay, let's look into week nine. And we have got some good ones. Not as good of a, of a uh, depth of schedule as we had last week. Baker County at Jackson, I think that is going to be a very good game. Um, as I mentioned, Jackson's offensive struggles. Baker County still, still very, very powerful uh, with Cam Smith and, and that potential in that offense there. So that's not a district game, so that's just a good matchup. And again, Jackson has played a good, tough schedule this year. So we'll see if Baker County, if they can do something differently on offense to generate some points. But I'm worried about Jackson this week against Baker County. I think that's a tough matchup for them, especially heading into that Reigns game and especially coming off two uh, really lackluster offensive games against Riverside and Rebolt. Another good one, Creekside at Fleming Island. Both of those teams still very much in the conversation for a playoff berth in uh, in the region. They'll have to do it as an at-large team, but Fleming Island beat Mandarin last week. Good game there uh, for the Golden Eagles. They needed that when they're 4-2. Creekside 5-2 and two, coming off that loss. That's a district game as well, but really those guys are playing for an at-large bid uh, in, re- in class 4S Region 1, so we'll see if they can do that. Uh, Beachside lost last week to Paxson. We'll see if the Barracudas can get that fifth win against Crescent City. That's a good one. Dinellon going to Bradford. We mentioned that game a few minutes ago. Bradford trying to stay pace, uh, stay on pace for that Palatka matchup la- uh, next week. And Dinellon, I think, their most challenging opponent to date of the season. Game of the week, Gainesville Buholtz at Bartram Trail. A heavyweight showdown. Bartram Trail just four and five all time to Gainesville Buholtz, and that will decide the District 3-4S championship between those two teams. Buholtz has been kryptonite for area teams. They beat Oakleaf last week. They were a state semifinalist team last year. They beat Nice in a regional final game, and I got a chance to see that one. And Buholtz looked very, very good last year in that regional final against Nice. And I know it's a year later, but Man, they are a good team. It's going to take a lot for Bartram to get past Buholtz. That series has been very close. Buholtz beat Bartram 28-13 last year. Again, this Bartram team older, wiser, and I think a little bit more experienced. Riley Trillo, Latham Biddle, as I mentioned earlier, they have been leading the way on that offensive attack for Bartram Trail. So I like where Bartram is heading uh, kind of on the, the ascent upwards from an offensive standpoint. Riverside, they've lost six in a row. They're going to Sandalwood, but... Uh, as mentioned, sneaky good defensive team. They've given their challenge really two tough games uh, to Trinity Christian in Week 7 and last week, as I mentioned, against Jackson in Week 8. So Riverside was in a tie game against number 1 Trinity in the fourth quarter of a Week 7 game, and then last week gave Jackson everything it wanted. General's just not there offensively yet. They've got a young offensive team. And Sandalwood... To Adam Geis's credit, the Saints have really turned things around, and they could probably be a 5-2 and two team now, realistically. They lost a heartbreaker to Reigns, a, a one-possession game earlier in the season. So Sandalwood really hitting its peak at the right time. Jordan Bean very leads a very good running attack for Sandalwood, uh, and they are still very much alive for a district championship. We'll talk about that one in a second. Another good gateway game, Ed White at Rebalt. White still number 10 in our rankings, and Rebalt has been – 
scrappy and good um, under Ram Pinkney this year, especially on that defensive side of the ball. Give Jackson all kinds of fits. So I do like that game as well as kind of an old good throwback gateway conference clash. Okay, now we're we're talking district playoffs. We're talking district champions, and let's run down a little of these scenarios right now. As I mentioned, next week is going to be the big one. Starting District 1-4-M, Sandalwood at Mandarin next Thursday. That will crown a district champ. District 1-3-M, First Coast at Fletcher next week. That game will decide the district championship. Fletcher gets the crown if it beats First Coast. First Coast needs to win, and it needs to hope for Parker to beat Inglewood this week, and that would create a three-team tiebreaker between First Coast, Fletcher, and Parker. And another scenario, Inglewood beats Parker, and First Coast beats Fletcher would give First Coast that district championship. So some scenarios at play there. District 1-2-M, Jackson at range on October 27th. That will crown a district champ. District 2-2-M, how about this one? Bowles at Bishop Kinney next Friday night. Week 10 will crown the district champ. Bishop Kinney has not beaten Bowles since, I believe, the, the mid-'70s. So that will be a great one. Should have had him uh, a few years ago, and Bowles wins on the, basically a, a Hail Mary type of play at the finish line. So uh, some history there, and it's a, just an always good battle when those two teams get together in any sport. District 3-2-M, White at Westside, October 27th. White gets the district title with the victory there. Don't expect uh, Westside to be able to slow them down, but Westside could uh, get into a three-team tiebreaker with uh, with Riverside and White should it win, and those would then be decided on FHSAA rankings points. Trinity Christian in District 1-1-M. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Trinity Christian is going to get in there. Um, I cannot imagine them losing to Christchurch or uh, Providence, so I think Trinity Christian has that one just about locked up, barring some catastrophic uh, upsets. Uh, District 3-4-S mentioned it, Gainesville Buholtz at Bartram Trail. That'll decide the district champion. District 4-4-S wrapped up last week. Flather Palm Coast beat Nice uh, to win that district championship. Nice is a really disappointing season for Nice. Unfortunate that they weren't able to follow that regional final berth last year. Too many graduation losses and a, and a defense that really couldn't stop anyone. Columbia and District 3-3-S wrapped up the district championship. District 4-3-S, very unlikely that St. Augustine loses this one, but still some teams alive in this district other than St. Augustine. Uh, St. Aug gets winless Gainesville on Friday um, and a clay loss to Matanzas on Friday would give St. Augustine uh, that district championship. So um, it's, Clay is still alive in this. They need some things to go right, and they need to beat St. Augustine next week to have a shot at that district championship. Um, and Menendez also could get into a three-team tiebreaker uh, with St. Augustine. And Clay, uh, if some things kind of fall its way, tiebreaker would be determined by FHSA rankings points. Again, do not see that scenario happening. Um, I think St. Augustine has that locked up, again, barring any catastrophic upsets and uh, dominoes falling there. Swanee at Wakula in District 4-2-S. That will decide the district champion there. District 5-2-S, Baldwin has clinched the championship there via West Nassau's loss uh, last week. District 6-2-S, Bradford-Palaka, the big-time matchup next week, October 28th. That'll determine that district champ. District 8-2-S, Crescent City, uh, on path to win a district championship. I thought they won last week, but looking a little bit further in uh, Lake Weir and Port Orange Atlantic, still uh, have a mathematical chance to get in there 
very slim. Again, would need a uh, an upset uh, by Lake Weir over Crescent City to uh, to force a three-team tiebreaker. Don't see that happening. District 1-3S, St. Joseph has already been eliminated uh, and a couple other non-local teams battling for a district championship there. So a lot, a lot of districts being sewn up already, but man, next week is going to be a big, big week for determining who gets in the playoffs, who does not. A quick reminder how you get in there, automatically qualify if you win your district. And if you do not win your district, there are four at-large teams in each region uh, in districts, excuse me, in classes 2M and 2S and above. So any 1M and 1S get two automatic qualifiers and then two at-large teams because those are smaller playoff fields. So um, again, if you win your district, you're already in the playoffs, but you have a chance to get into the playoffs via uh, FHSAA rankings points if you don't win your district. So a lot of uh, mathematicians, a lot of people looking at those uh, rankings points and, and trying to determine who gets in, who does not. And I, it, next week is just going to be a great week of high school football, and I am excited for Week 10. But we do have some good ones in Week 9, just not as big of implications as there are next week. So many good games in Week in week 10. Um, and again, we've got some good ones this week too, just not as big as next week. It's a little interesting high school football survey this past week. Um, asked coaches tons of questions. An anonymous survey, asked them tons of questions, got the responses, and uh, some pretty good ones. Uh, coaches could not vote for themselves, but asked who was the best coach in the area. Daryl Sutherland at Bartram Trail, Brian Braddock voted as the top head coaches in the area. Matt Toblin is third. Christopher Foy, fourth. Verlin Dormany, Tim Krause, Marty Lee, and Sean McIntyre. All after that, really good there. Daryl Sutherland's been voted the top area coach for a couple years in a row, so a lot of respect for him. What's the biggest issue or impediment facing your profession? Coaches say they're not paid enough, and it's very hard to retain coaches. Yeah, the highest head coaching supplement in our area. Now, coaches are paid supplements. They're not paid you know, weekly salaries and stuff. Very, very big misconception there on what coaches are. Are paid the highest coaching supplement in our area, six thousand three hundred eighty-seven dollars and fifty cents a year. Uh, that is paid by Clay County, six thousand three hundred eighty-seven dollars and fifty cents a year, a year, and that that was after a seventeen dollar and fifty cent pay raise. So. Um, for all that time and hours and effort and time away from your family that coaches put in, head coaches put in, in Clay County. You're paid sixty, basically sixty-four hundred dollars a year, and that is really, uh, really significantly poor. There, when you're talking about the hours and time you miss with your family, that is much lower than the state's minimum wage of eleven dollars an hour. Um, same thing. If you could make one change in your profession, what would it be? Low pay tops the list again. We asked the same question last year, and low pay got the nod last year. Coaches say it's really too soon to tell if the suburban metro playoff situation is uh, is good or bad. Um, seven coaches not in favor of it at all, five of them uh, in favor of it. So um, kind of that mid-range point is really what we saw when the vote happened uh, to change that. So um, really uh, uh, not a lot of uh, comfortability on that yet. I think we'll have some more clarity on that same question when we ask it next year. Name, image, and likeness, it's already uh, being permitted in some 
states for high school, and that, that's crazy. That allows high school kids to profit off their name, image, and likeness like college athletes do. Uh, it's been Pandora's box at the college level. Not a lot of legislation. Uh, there's some high dollar amounts coming to, to college kids, and area high school coaches say absolutely not. It's a terrible idea to make it to the high school level. Uh, 24 of 39 coaches said that's a very bad idea. Five coaches said that it was a good idea, too. So I do think it is coming. The Florida High School Athletic Association has already been sued in a state court uh, to allow that to happen. So I do think that happens probably within the next two to three years here in Florida. It's happened in states around the country as well. So I do think name, image, and likeness as much as coaches, admins, athletic directors don't like it. It is coming to high school in Florida. I think it's just a matter of time. And one of the interesting questions, you were not coaching, what would you be doing? And um, a, a large large portion of coaches said they'd teach, they'd work with kids, they'd be a college professor, a dean, a principal, something that uh, to give back to the kids. So that took the top answer. Uh, several coaches said they would retire and uh, several other coaches said they would never leave, even despite the low pay and despite the uh, really the the sacrifices that head coaches have to make to do what they want to do. So uh, interesting to get a little bit of insight from area high school football coaches, and I will be following up a little bit more on that pay issue. Really a, a disservice for what the men and women in high school uh, coaching positions are paid, definitely not paid their worth, not even uh, not even a percentage of the worth for the time that they devote to their uh, students, their to their careers. And I think a, a misconception is that coaches only coach, but coaching is a second job for many of these uh, men and women. A lot of these coaches are teachers at their schools. That's their full-time job. That's their main focus. And you're paid additionally a supplement uh, to do that coaching. So interesting to look at that. And when you see the numbers and um, how many hours are at stake in, in coaching, it is just repulsive what some of these coaches, or really all of these coaches in, in all of the sports and high school athletics um, are paid from their school districts. Really, really disappointing. So all of that high school football, we will come back to you next week with some more high school football talk down a week 10. Uh, Sponge Franklin will be back next week and we'll have uh, some more reports on cross country district and cross country districts going on, swimming districts going on, volleyball districts going on. It is a busy time in the state of Florida for high school sports postseason crunch time and looking ahead to the playoffs. That's it for a week nine edition of Varsity. Thanks for joining me.